And then people worry about, well, what if I do take my £5 million a year business and it turns into a £10 million a year business? And this is the weirdest thing, Gavin. People say, isn't that cheating? No way. And I say, what do you mean, isn't is that cheating? And they say, well, I worked so hard to get to where I am. It almost feels like I'm cheating to just go through a 12 to 16 week process where most of the work is done by your due diligence, your legal, your accounting, sure. your HR. And then I just sign everything and suddenly, oh my goodness, I've doubled the size of my business. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hi, welcome to a collaborative episode this week with Jonathan Jay of the Dealmakers Academy. So um, my name is Gavin Preston from the Business Mastermind podcast. And Jonathan, please introduce yourself. So uh, for the past uh, 21 years, I've made my money from buying and selling companies. And I uh, spend uh, a few hours, uh, approximately a day a week, helping other business owners do exactly the same thing. And typically it's it's seasoned business owners who've reached a certain level in their business where um, another 10 years of doing the same thing feels like incredibly hard work, where an acquisition would allow them to double the size of their company and they can do it in the next 12 months. Fantastic. And I'm a, a business strategist and growth expert. So I work with businesses to, to help them to scale, often to double within the space of a year, and also very much working with organizations to help them to scale through acquisition in just the same way that Jonathan uh, mentioned there. So we thought we'd have a collaborative conversation, a collaborative podcast today, where we talk about what, let's say, assume you've done your deal, you've done your acquisition, and then what you should be doing immediately post acquisition so confirmation of the deal what um, the new ownership team or a new owner should be focusing on and should be t- doing okay so um the the idea generally is to do as much of the groundwork beforehand so you don't walk into a complete surprise um you you, you obviously know the staff you know who's employed you know the management structure you know the financials, um, you have some sense of the way the business is run. However, what is always a surprise is the culture of the business. Yes. And it can either be surprising from a positive perspective, so everyone's incredibly enthusiastic and welcoming, but usually people perceive acquisitions as negative. So even the positive people are typically quite negative once they know that the company that they've worked for for many years, in some cases, has been bought by someone else. And they always regard you with suspicion. So the first and most important thing is to settle everyone down, to get them back to business as usual. Um, If, of course, it is going to be business as usual, because if you're buying a distressed asset, quite often you want to reduce your costs dramatically um, as quickly as possible. And usually that is around reducing the number of people. Um, so it, it really depends the type of business that you're buying, but the people aspect of the acquisition are typically the, the, the most fraught elements. Um, but of, of course, as we all say, you know, the people can be your biggest asset or your biggest liability. 
Um, but th that would be where my focus would always be at first. Great. And what, what are the sort of things that you do to settle things down and to provide reassurance? Do you go and meet the senior team and sort of uh, do a town hall meeting, an all-hands meeting? Yes. So the, the, the key to this is a handover between the exiting owner and the new owner. And the handover must be seen as very, very positive. It's a passing of the baton rather than uh, everything you've known before is over. Uh, it's now going to be a completely new way of doing things. So you can, uh, you might want to, if, it depends on the size of the business that you're buying. If there is a, a senior team, then they would be informed first. And once they have been uh, informed, then, then that um, spreads throughout the organization, which might well be a getting everyone together, depends on the type of business you're buying um, or the size of the business that you're buying. But that's what we want to achieve. Now, the, the, the thing is, you might think you can just do that meeting once and it's, it's over. We don't have to talk about it uh, ever again because you know, we've reassured everyone, no redundancies, everything's going to be fine. And you might think, thank goodness, I never have to have that conversation uh, again. However, um, you have to have that conversation again and again and again and again. Yeah. In actual fact, in the early days, you can't over-communicate. Even when you think, I've sent everyone two emails so far today, you get to five o'clock and they go, we haven't had an email for three hours, what's wrong? Right. So there is this automatic assumption that something is wrong if you aren't telling them that everything's right. Okay. So this, is, this goes beyond the immediate um, handover to announcement, things aren't going to change, you're still going to have the same sort of line manager or same general manager of the, yeah. the site. You're, you're then now getting into constant reassurance in the first few weeks from what you're saying. Yes, exactly. And until everyone has seen from their experience that nothing really is going to change, um, apart from the fact that you sent in a maintenance crew to fix the leaking tap and the, put in a new microwave in the kitchen and, and do all those things that everyone's been moaning about for a while. But because the owner knew that they were selling, they didn't bother fixing, because why would sure. they? Yep. So you know, you've made some changes that are positive, and then everyone settles down because it gets to the point where having the same conversation is just a little bit boring for them, um, and you've proven through your actions that nothing dramatically negative is going to happen and then everyone can just get get on with business now of course that's assuming that nothing dramatically negative is going to happen but if you're buying a business that's on its way downhill it's it's pre-administration and you need to um, uh, turn it around dramatically and you need to reduce the headcount then you need to tell people right at the start an actual fact if you tell people you're not making any changes and then a week later, or even the next day, you tell people that they are, from that moment onward, they don't trust you because you're now doing something differently. Even if, even if the, the, the story is, 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 is correct, which is, well, when we bought the business, we thought it was like this. A week later, we think it's like this, and we didn't know those things. Despite all of that, it may well be true, but no one's going to believe you. Yeah. So if you know you're going to uh, make cuts, then those cuts should be, should be fast and they should be deep because doing redundancies in dribs and drabs is, is just soul destroying for the, for the people and for the company itself. Great. And your due diligence, 
pre-deal um, will have identified areas that needed attention, areas uh, for improvement in the business. So in the early stages, after you've done the deal, are you sitting down with the manager or the management team to agree specific targets and the metrics by which they're going to be measured and the cadence around reviews and you know, um, board meetings, etc.? Yeah. I mean, again, usually when a business is being sold in the three or four months leading up to it, the owner has let things like that slip slightly because they're thinking about their world cruise. Sure. So what you don't want to be doing is going in and saying, right, um, this is how we're going to run things now and and, and basically being heavy handed with it because you've just said nothing's going to change. That would be perceived as a a change. So it's a a slow, slower, careful process. But if your focus, if, or if everyone's focus has to be on sales, on in, increasing revenue into the business, then I think that should be in your very first speech. And that is the thing that you, you repeat again and again, because you know, it, you know, introducing KPIs is probably a little bit too early in those, in those early days. But, but I would be um, talking to everyone about, you know, we need to improve the business by increasing the, the number of customers that we have. So we would welcome your ideas on how we're going to do that. So it becomes reasonably a collaborative approach to, to increasing sales. And then right. later, once you've, you've earned that trust um, then, uh, and enough time has passed for everyone to have settled down, then you would start at that point saying, right, okay, you know, the, 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 the benchmark is this, the KPI is this, and so forth. That's a really inter- important distinction and interesting for me is that you're, you're actually taking a, a softly, softly approach in the early month or so while, because your main focus there is to settle people down and to reassure them um, because if they're, if, they're, if they're not settled or not reassured, then their performance is going to drop or even worse, they could leave. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes you want people to leave. I mean, it, 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 de- it depends. If, if you've got a big ship that needs to be turned around. Sure then you haven't got time to take things too nicely and carefully. So you will upset people. People will quit because they don't like you because a lot of people just don't like change full stop. Um, in which case you might be thinking, brilliant, every, every, every time that someone quits, there isn't a redundancy payment to be made. Yep. Um, so so you, you know, it's a slightly more ag- aggressive approach, but sometimes that's what it takes to save a business. And the, the one situation that I use as an anecdote about this all the time is a, is, is a, um, a business I bought a few years ago where we had to lose 75 people um, as quickly as possible. And right. because it was just leaking money every single day and we needed, we needed to, to, to cut that, that flow of um, of money money flowing in the wrong direction, I hasten to add, yes. out of the company. Yeah. We had to do it as quickly as possible. Um, so it was it was a it, it probably wasn't very unpleasant for, for for anyone, but it did actually save the business. It was a business that we would then managed to sell on to someone else. Right. Okay. So um, you, you're making you you're, you're reassuring first and foremost, but if there are cuts to be made, you make those cuts quickly and deeply. Yeah so that you can then move on with the recovery plan of the business? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, be- because uh, doing nothing usually means things are getting worse. Sure. So, okay. so the approach is always down to the, the state of the business that you're buying. And of course, your due diligence points you in the direction of the approach 
that you need to take. I mean, with a distressed company, you probably know exactly what you're going to do to cut out, uh, reduce costs. With a successful company, you might have spotted the opportunities um, that you're going to get everyone focused on um, to make it better. But to make it better at some stage, there does need to be a shift in, in mindset, doesn't there? Whether it's you've gone from reassurance, but immediately prior to reassurance, think people with the, own, the outgoing owner sort of thinking about his world cruise and um, taking his foot off the gas a little bit. Now yes. there's a, there comes a point where you want people to get back in gear and and start to think about growth or improvement of customer service or customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. So so tomorrow I'm going to be visiting three um, uh, business acquisitions that I made last year. Yes. And I bought them in August, but I haven't actually personally visited which sounds rather odd, I know, but I have a highly paid management team who have uh, been there continuously since, since the acquisition. Yes. But tomorrow is actually my first time. And um, the interesting uh, part of this is that probably the approach with these particular businesses was a little bit too softly, softly. It went too much the other way. Okay. And okay. Everyone's forgotten that a business is not a business without customers. Yeah. And the culture change in these companies um, is that up to our involvement, there was no focus on building the business because everyone got paid regardless of how well the business was doing. And we took it over at its lowest point. And obviously, if you want to change the business, the people's approach needs to change, in particular when it comes to new customer acquisition. Um, so I'm going up there tomorrow to get a sense of exactly what's happening and what we can do to bring more customers into that business. Yeah, presumably, because uh, I follow your stuff and listen to your own podcast, you're talking about one of the children's uh, nurseries that, that you, in terms of those three acquisitions. Yes, I am. Yeah, yes. Uh, and, yeah. And I know, again, from seeing some of your posts that you've also done a program of uh, refreshment or refurb to some of those uh, properties as well. Yes. I mean, that's interesting because when you invest in the infrastructure of a business that is customer facing, uh, so I don't mean so much the office building that no one ever goes into apart from the staff. But I mean, if it's like a retail or a, um, a doctor's surgery, a, you know, dental practice, a veterinary practice, children's nursery, you know, something where you, you know, people come into and you invest in that infrastructure, it, it, first of all, it means that it will have a medium to long-term impact on um, increasing uh, the number of customers that you have. Yes. Uh, because people expect and demand a higher environment. If you think of the, the hotels you would have stayed in as a child on, at the seaside, which seemed perfectly acceptable back then, but now no one would ever stay in those hotels. Great people's example. expectations of, of, of our surroundings have, have increased. Yeah. Um, but also it sends yeah. a really good message to the staff because those are the surroundings that they work in. And you know, a dripping tap might not sound like a big deal or one toilet that never flushes properly. But, you know, you fix all those things and it sends a very, very positive message. And it's not an expensive message, but it's a very positive message that um, you have a long-term commitment 
Um, and of course, quite often people think that the exiting owner was absolutely wonderful. And of course, who, who are these bad people taking, taking, um, taking over and you know, buying my company that I've worked for for 15 years? But when they realize that actual fact, yeah, that kitchen was pretty terrible. And yeah, the microwave hasn't worked for six months and the cooker did need to be replaced. And you do all those things. The, the allegiance from the staff starts to shift and they start to think, well, actually, maybe the, the previous owner wasn't so great after all. And maybe these new guys are going to look after us like they told us they were going to at the first meeting. And it's also a very clear statement to customers coming into that space to be able to, under new management, there's investment. So this is going to be either a good place for, in your case, our child uh, t- to be during the day, or it's going, or if it's in a retail environment, th- this is a great place that's investing in the future and has confidence and therefore worthy of our business. Yeah, all of those things, absolutely. So with improved facilities, in the case of the children's nurseries, um, then there's an immediate attraction for new potential customers. But what you're also finding is that you might need to do some work around the sales conversations so people are more likely in a a competitive environment, more likely to put their children uh, with one of your nurseries. Well, that's very interesting you should say that because before Christmas, we did a mystery shop. And we're quite shocked, actually, at how poor the telephone conversations that our key staff members were having with potential parents. You know, they were just not very good at all. Really? Um, so, you know, within days, we started training all of those people who would be customer-facing on how to have a decent telephone conversation. You had know, to get the person's name, find out how old the child is. Um, you know, ask them what their requirements are, you know, and then book them in for a show round, which is the turning point. Um, of course. You know, as a parent, the moment you walk through the nursery door, you, you're not going to make a decision upon buying that type of service without being physically present. No. So, um, so it has that seen a positive effect? Yeah, it has. And that's really in the last, I would say, four weeks uh, has seen a, a, a very much a positive effect. And that's something, again, you don't just do once as you know, you're very familiar with with the world of training, you can't just do it once and then, um, and then consider it to be done. It's an ongoing process that you've got to do. In fact, actually, we're doing on a, on a fortnightly basis at, at the moment. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, those, those things are so critically important because you often think you've got a marketing problem because we aren't signing up new customers. And you think, well, it must be a marketing problem. In actual fact, it's a sales problem. The marketing's working just fine. It's what happens when that person calls your office or calls your company or emails. Um, that's where it can go wrong. Hi, Gavin here. As you look forward, maybe you have a desire to exit your business for a certain number in the next three, five, or even 10 years. Maybe you are earlier in your business journey, but have a certain lifestyle aspirations or things you want to provide for your family. Or maybe now you're at the point where you want to exit, but haven't been able to find a way of doing it. If you keep going on the same trajectory, are you going to achieve the results that you want in the time frame that you desire? If you know that the current trajectory of your business is not going to deliver that, now is the time to start to plan, to start putting things in place, to be working on the things that will deliver the results. We can help. Get in touch because we have a track record of helping business owners 
to transform their results, accelerate the growth of their business, complete acquisitions and exit. Email me, Gavin at GavinPreston.com. Let's jump on a call um, to get you back on track to realizing the life plans you spent all this time working towards. That's Gavin at GavinPreston.com. I look forward to speaking to you soon. So we spent some time talking about culture and reassurance, then about things that you would do to improve the fabric of the customer-facing areas, um, then about kind of the sales aspects. Whether it's through your own experience or through that of your clients on the Dealmakers Academy, what are some of the things that you've seen go wrong post-acquisition, immediately after acquisition? Um, good question. Um, so I, I suppose a key member of staff leaving um, but then, you know, you should always have a backup plan. So if, if you know that a business is dependent upon a certain member of staff, then you need to have someone else ready to step in um, or uh, some sort of succession plan in place. You know, maybe the, the deputy to that person steps up. So, so that, that can, can often be um, uh, an, an area of concern. I, I suppose on a very practical level, you find a lot of unpaid bills. So in the last few months, the owner has just not really paid attention to paying anything because, hey, they're going to be selling it to you soon, and then that will all be your problem. Um, if you structure the acquisition correctly, then that won't bother you because effectively those outstanding bills are taken off of the purchase price, which means that you... Uh, you, you you still pay pay the same, but the bills are effectively being paid by the um, by the vendor. Uh, so so that's a big area of concern for people who haven't structured the deal right. And I meet a lot of people who come onto the program who've bought businesses, and it's completely messed up because right. they just handed a check over to the the owner on day one uh, and thought that was it, and then they encounter all of these issues. Um, so getting the structure right is is really important and getting the legals right around that so that you you have the ability to be able to deduct those unforeseen expenses off of any payments to the vendor. Great. And normally in the way that you're structuring your deals, there's some element of deferred payment anyway that gives you the scope of being able to deduct those unpaid bills off those future payments. Yeah, there, there, there should be. I mean, it's it's um, always a bit vanilla. Um, you know, when I sort of talk about this on podcasts and things, it always feels a little bit sort of simplistic. Uh, and, you know, there are so many legal nuances to all of this um, that makes it a bit more complicated than it might at first appear. But the end result is you de-risk the transaction. That's really what we're trying to do here. We, we want to buy a business with confidence. We don't want it to to ruin our life for the next couple of years. What do you see as other things that can go wrong? Um, well, I, I guess there's always something that you don't foresee. Um, so if, if I was to speak in broad terms, it's the things that you don't know. That's what can go wrong. Sure. It's the, did you know that our major client is leaving in two months' time? Well, no, actually, I didn't know that. Was, that was not in the disclosure letter. Um, so, so there's all these things that you just don't know. And I think you've got to approach it with a, a, uh, an open mind that there will be things that don't go according to plan. It's how you deal with them because you can never eliminate every 
eventuality. And if you're buying the business in the right way, as long as you aren't left out of pocket, it might take up some more time. It might be a little bit harder work than you expected. Uh, however, um, it, it's, you know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. I mean, if it was all plain sailing and easy, um, it, it probably wouldn't feel worth doing. And everybody <laughs> I, would be I, doing I it. enjoy the challenges. The, yeah. the, the, the challenges actually help you as an individual become better at dealing with adversity, more resilient to stressful situations. For sure. And, and I have friends who, who say that my, stre- the, my ability to deal with stressful situations, the things that they find absolutely stressful, I don't even notice because right. I've increased my threshold over the years. Yep. Um, so it's like, it's like training, if you like. Um, uh, what hurt you at first after a few years of doing it, actually, you don't even notice. One of the things that I think from what I think you're good at is not getting drawn into the day-to-day operations of the business. So let's say you find out once once the business is yours that, that using that scenario that a major customer is leaving after two months. The, I know you said you, you, you've got a good management team in place, but surely there'll become things where there's a real tendency to, to jump in. So how, what advice would you give to people to stay how they can stay in the investor space rather than rolling the sleeves up to try and solve a problem and uh, and, and address a, a shortfall in revenue, for example. Yeah, and this is why you need the right people around you, and you need the uh, you need to know that you should be delegating to those people. And if you don't have the right people around you, you find them very quickly because if you have um, if if everything lands on your desk and you get dragged into those day to day details you will never make another, another acquisition ever again because you'll just find the whole thing far too exhausting. Yeah. So um, if, we, if we go back to what I said a few minutes ago, three acquisitions up in the north of England, different towns up in the north, never been there. Yeah. Uh, and that was uh, four months ago. So I've had other people look after those, um, those details. Um, and... You know, I, I'm, I'm going up in order to um, see what we can do to take it up a notch sure. um, and maybe see some things that they've missed. But in terms of the actual operational, I would not know how to do the staff rotor. I would not know how to collect money from the local authority. I would not know any of those things. And actually knowing those things probably doesn't really make too much difference to the outcome because I've got people who will always know far more than me. Um, it's important to just to keep that keep that big picture in mind of what you want to achieve, because when you get dragged into the details, you do lose sight of the big picture. So back to your point about losing potentially losing a key member of staff. We talked about succession post acquisition. Are you already thinking about if there isn't a good enough deputy in place already, then recruiting or building almost like a substitute bench for somebody that could take over a role if you will be unfortunate enough to lose your sort of business manager yeah absolutely so so let's say you're buying uh, an it company in wolverhampton and you have some concerns that that the management might be somewhat fragile and if you did lose this main guy who you already knew was very loyal to the exiting owner uh, then you might have a problem there is nothing to stop you running some adverts for that person's role in wolverhampton before you even buy the business. Right, great. 
And and then you've got you've got a list of CVs. You might even have had someone phone them to 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 whittle those CVs down to a few people, find out who's available, who's on three months' notice, all of those things. You might even, if you think, you know what, this guy is not going to be right, I will need to replace them, have that person standing by to to step into the role the moment you complete. I mean, you, you could you could take it to that extreme right. uh, and not not wait till after you take ownership. And of course, you haven't got the time to do that if you're in the, the weeds of all the detail of collecting money from the local authority, et cetera. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, you you don't. And, you know, I, I have been in situations where I have been dragged into it and I've been doing a little bit of everything. Um, uh, I actually made a mistake on one, on one deal where I gave all the customers my email address. I don't know what I was thinking. So I had <laughs> hundreds of emails. And of course, now that they have my email address, a, a, a response from anyone else is not good enough. It has to be from me. I mean, I, I, I really uh, messed up on that one. So, uh, so it's, it's knowing and understanding what your role is. And this is why some business owners struggle with getting their heads around the different mentality uh, of, of being a business investor to being a business manager or a business operator. Yes. Uh, because yes. they're so used to doing everything. When it comes to um, buying another business, they feel as though they've got to continue in the same way. Now, what I always say to people is, what if you buy this business that's quite similar to yours, that already has a management team in place, that's running regardless of whether you are there or not, and then merge that with your existing business so that you now don't have to turn up to your existing business every day as well. So now you've got a business that might be, for the sake of this explanation, double the size, two similar yes. businesses put together. Yes. But now you've got more time. Yeah, figure that one out. I mean, that's, I that. Isn't, that, isn't that everyone's objective? You've got a, a larger business, and even though it, yeah, we know it's not all about money, but it is nice to be paid for the work that you do. So you've got maybe double the income from this larger business, but now you've actually got double the free time as well. Now, that would certainly then make you think, well, let's just do this again. Of course. And again, and again, because my income goes up, but the time invested doesn't. So you find that once somebody's completed their first acquisition, um, kind of the deal virginity is behind them, then they are confident and eager to do further acquisitions. Oh, 100%. And if you've seen my YouTube channel, there's an interview with a client from last year. And well, he, started, he, was, he was a client uh, just over a year ago. I interviewed him a year after he, he started the process with me. Yes. And his big thing when we first met was, Jonathan, I haven't got time to buy a business. And he repeated this to me so many times. It was like, so why are you on the program? <laughs> if you haven't got time to buy a business, why are you here? And then he did his first one and he had a company that had been running, it was a digital marketing design, uh, app design, those sorts of things. Um, he bought the first one, uh, sorry, he'd owned a business for 10 years. He bought the first one and he did the equivalent of another 10 years of growth with that first transaction. So he doubled the size of the company. Brilliant. They needed a second, they needed a third. And I know he's got another two just around the corner. And so that's just over a year time Sometimes we make our own excuses. Yeah, it would be about 14 months in total wow. to do uh, 
five acquisitions. And that leads me to the pre the first deal when when a business owner is because one of the things you said right at the beginning was you help uh, business owners when they get to that stage in their career realizing that gosh I don't want the next ten years like this and it might not. They carry on the same trajectory, it might not trigger the capital event I was looking for, therefore acquisition could be a solution to that problem. What are the sort of key fears that a would-be acquirer, a would-be investor has that stop them doing an acquisition that do not turn out to be true, that they're just invalid fears? Oh, okay. Well, the, the first thing they're always fearful of is, um, can I do it? Is it actually possible? Is this not something that you read about online that, um, you know, maybe not the world's best example, but Philip Green has just made another acquisition. Yeah. Um, or, um, you know, any acquisition that you read about, you think, well, this is something that other people do. It's not something that I do because I'm the entrepreneur who keeps his head down, turns up to the office five days a week, goes in at the weekends. Yeah. And so it's that belief, is it something that's within my, almost like, you know, is it, can, do I have permission to do this? And then there's the, what if I get it wrong? And completely understandable when money's at stake, when it's a business decision, no one wants to make bad decisions. And trial and error is always very, very expensive, which is why I say, get someone to guide you through this process so you don't have to go through that expensive trial and error phase. And then people worry about, well, what if I do take my £5 million a year business and it turns into a £10 million a year business? Well, isn't that, and this is the weirdest thing, Gavin, people say, isn't that cheating? No way. And I say, what do you mean, isn't is that cheating? And they say, well, I worked so hard to get to where I am. It almost feels like I'm cheating to just go through a 12 to 16 week process where most of the work is done by your due diligence, your legal, your accounting, sure. your HR people. And then I just sign everything and suddenly, oh my goodness, I've doubled the size of my business. It almost makes people feel bad that they put years of effort to get to where they are, where they could have put those years of effort into a different type of business productivity. And if they had done acquisitions from day one, as opposed to starting from scratch and spending years not making any money they actually would have been a lot further forward. So I think it's that admission to themselves that, oh my goodness, there is a better way, but no one told me what it was. But at least you found it now rather than you know, 10 years' exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Great. So uh, the, the key to that is, I suppose, the answer to those sort of fears is, can you do it? Yes, you can. Uh, what if it goes wrong? The answer to both of those is, well, with the right guidance, you're going to reduce significantly the risks of things going wrong. And um, the the experience that you've had making your own existing business successful up to say the level of five million means that when you've got a, an enlarged business you, you, that that's generating um, more profits, you've got more opportunities, and a to hire talent, but also to go on to do your next op- acquisitions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, getting the first one under your belt is very important because then that gives you. And I I urge all of my clients do something as quickly as possible, treat it as a learning experience, don't risk any of your own capital. And then once you've done it once, you go, oh my goodness, I can do this again, and I can do yeah. it again. And after you've done a few, you feel like an old hand because you start seeing the same situations arise. And every time you hit a bump in the road, you say, okay, well, how do we solve this? 
how, how do we find a solution? And for me, business is all about making decisions and solving problems. And if you get very good at making decisions and solving problems, you get very good at business. But don't restrict your ability to be successful in business to the one that you have labored on for the past five or 10 years. Why don't you take that determination that you've got and the knowledge and skills that you have and say, okay, how do we double, triple, quadruple? And how do we do that sooner rather than later? How do we sell that larger business, semi-retire for six months, and then start up and do it again with something else? Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, one of my clients recognized that, uh, well, through some encouragement from me, that the, the way forward for them was going to be through an acquisition. And, and for the, understandably, they were apprehensive about doing an acquisition because they'd not done one before. And we nearly got to the point of that fear and apprehension getting in the way of them doing a deal. Um, but with the support and the coaching I gave them, not only you know two years later, they've now completed successfully two acquisitions and exactly. they're looking at a merger that effectively would, would double the business again. And so the momentum's there already. No, there were one or two things, uh, particularly on the second acquisition, um, post deal being signed that cake skeletons came out of the out of the cupboard but the, yeah that's all lessons learned and not to the point that it's going to put them off doing any further acquisitions going forward so yeah, yeah having seen their attitude change from one of fear of the unknown to acknowledgement and recognition this is just the right thing to grow a business to be able to exit and, and actually it came from a really good story that this individual had sold had sold the business they'd got the deal signed They'd said goodbye to their team pre-Christmas, gone out on the Christmas drinks, and then he received an email between the Christmas and New Year period, basically with the uh, the potential acquirer pulling out. So all of a sudden he was right. left in a situation where he'd, he'd kind of checked out, and I'm mixing my metaphors here, but he needs to get back on the horse. And so yes. this process of acquisition said, well, I've got my business back now, when I consider to sell it again, it's going to be a much bigger business, which I can sell for a much bigger number. And I think that was the driver behind it, that with the support and the help and the coaching, he's meant that, uh, yeah, two acquisitions in and uh, his business is transformed. I, mean, I think that's a wonderful story. See, no, no one got into business to be good at admin. That's a great Didn't line. No, no. no. And no one, no, one ever, no one ever says, you know the reason why Richard Branson is so successful He's got an amazing filing system. You should see his filing system. See how neat his desk is. Yeah, it, it's just a nonsense, isn't it? So we get into business because we want to prove something to ourselves, prove something to other people. We want the thrill of the chase, we want the excitement of growth, we want to win customers, deliver an amazing product and service. Brilliant. But let's cut out all the things that we're not very good at, and most business owners aren't very good at saying things. One of them typically is not very good at managing people. And yeah. why don't we buy businesses where the management's in place or we can put management in place so we can have that thrill of the chase on a larger scale without um, having to do the, um, the admin? Yeah, love that. So just a thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's one of the it's one thing that's shown in certainly in, in, the, in the lives of your own uh, customers and the people that I work with to bear out to be one of the best decisions they've made in their, in their careers. To buy another business. Yeah. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, Jonathan, about the Dealmakers Academy, how do they do that? Um, the best place is our website, which is thedealmakersacademy.com. 
And on the homepage, there's a sign up for our newsletter. So uh, sign up there and you'll get an email from me practically every day with a new tip, a new piece of advice, a link to a video, a link to a podcast. Uh, of course, you can go to the podcast, which is Business Buying Strategies on, uh, um, on, on iTunes. Uh, you can find me, uh, Jonathan J, on uh, YouTube. But probably the best starting point is thedealmakersacademy.com. Jonathan, thank you. And for your listeners, my name is Gavin Preston. I have a podcast called The Business Mastermind Podcast and my website is gavinpreston.com. And you can find out more about the work I do with helping businesses to scale and grow. Jonathan, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. Wonderful, Gavin. Thank you. You've been listening to The Business Mastermind Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.